What's our stocking shell? Oh. Stocking. Sibilance. <laughs> stocking. Stocking. Uh, I went to high school with Mike Stans. <laughs> that was fucking good, Roman. Mike Stans? Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, okay. I tried to do that joke earlier, but I didn't. Oh, did you? Well, I, I said Mike Stans like I was saying a name, but I didn't. Make it obvious that oh okay person. I probably but you, but you sub- dropped the high school. I subconsciously picked it up. What, no no yeah, no, you it's prompted, all it's you all you. Me. You no, take ownership no. of that. Uh. <laughs> I uh, I played bass in, inside Braden in high school with Mike Stans actually. <laughs> oh cool, gross. They, no, they were good. <laughs> podcast where the comics place in bellingham washington bellingham's premier comic book podcast episode number 57 blood out blood out where every tuesday we pick up a bunch of books we bring them back to the comic shop what, we what? count them we what what <laughs> we sort them we look at them we yeah. make jokes we yeah. work hard Django has to go to his other job hype um <laughs> <laughs> our hype man needs a hype man um <laughs> And then we go home with those books that we're excited about, and we, we read them. Uh, this week, we were all, except for one person, very excited to go home and read <laughs> one particular book. Um, we come back on Wednesday and just talk to everybody about the books and sell them, and then we record this podcast, usually on a Wednesday. This week, we're recording on a Sunday. I'm not sure if you can tell my voice. I've been very, very sick. You just sound sexier. Thank you. My name's Jeff Figley, and I used to play <laughs> bass in Mike Stan's band. My name is Django, and I used to play bass in the Jeff and the Figleys. My name's Roman, and I, I, I used to be a roadie for Django and the Wildcats. <laughs> My name is Mike Stans, and that's Roman's joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Rome, Django, great God. Listen. I want to make it clear that I've been paddling this cold for like three weeks. I, I'm not. I'm not on the. I'm not on the summit. I'm not that, on the tip of the mountain. That's been the whole of the been. comings and goings of your life. Is the Fuck. cold? <laughs> it's been coming and going all week. And have this podcast conversation. The names that we are, uh, and we engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the shop, the books, or the comings and goings of our lives. What? What? What what? We got DJ Ango Hype Man over here. Wiki wiki oh. hype. Ango looks <laughs> looks good. <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about Doomsday Clock number one. Uh, we're also going to talk about Thanos number thirteen. <laughs> Oof. You all might know that as Thanos. Uh, the Punisher. Whoa, Rugrats number two. <laughs> I just get those two confused. Yeah, they're so similar. And Punisher, the platoon number three. <laughs> the platoon. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
Can we have a buckshot round too? Oh God, I didn't even need to mention it because obviously we're having a. Buck oh yeah, shot. we've got the buck, buck loaded. Shot. Buck shooters. I got my. Uh, Can we call it a buckplode? My buckplode. You guys, mm, this buckplode quality ass intro we're right now is eating right into our doomsday clock. Listen, yeah, we're, we're perfect. We're professionals. <laughs> um, yeah, buck shooters. I got my timer already ready. Oh, I can't wait to hear that noise. Oh, I know oh, you weren't gross. here for the last buckshot round. Oh, I heard where it. Where we had the. You had it. I mean, I heard it. I listened. Please ignore my sniffles, everybody. I'm sorry. So let's jump right in. Doom Shall we? clock number one. Jeff Johns, Gary Frank. Alan Moore. <laughs> Dave Gibbons. <laughs> By Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore. Uh, lenticular cover. Uh, Rorschach back. Or is he? Roman was just scratching that cover. That was him DJing. He was being a hype man like yourself, Django. <laughs> Wiki. Wiki. Whack. Pedia. <laughs> Wiki woo. Uh, guys, I don't think that this issue actually has credits anywhere in it. There's also no ads in it. I like that. Think, what, how did they swing that? <laughs> like, like they need the money cover. to pay for this. Like, they're print, this is money they're printing, like, right now. It's, they don't need ads <laughs> in this shit. Uh, 30 pages long, though. 30 pages, including a nice little Len Wein, a black Len Wein page. Uh, and I found the credits there on the back cover. Yeah. Brad Anderson colored it and Rob Lee. Rob Lee. So we've been really excited about this book for quite a while. Rob Lowe? Lee. Lee. Letterer. Yeah. Well, um, shit show. Shit show. Well. So Doomsday Clock. <laughs> Apparently it's a sequel to some book called Watchmen. Yeah. Um, so this book came out days and days ago, and it was certainly the book I was most excited about for this week and liked the most this week. I We've talked about it a lot at this point, so let's try and get back into that headspace of a Wednesday on a Sunday. Um, well, yeah. Like, so far, we've, ta- we've, we've talked about um, The Button. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about every issue of that. We talked about most of the issues of the Oz effect. Mm-hmm. So we've been reading all the lead-up stuff to this. Um, I think we've all read The Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I I did watch the movie first and then read it. So. Okay. Well, this is definitely a sequel to the comic book, not the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an important distinction to make and one that I do. Yeah. The alien does show up. Yeah. Yeah. We get the yeah. spoiler alert. By the way. Spoiler alert, guys. <laughs> well, well, it's too late now. I already said it. <laughs> we, we failed. Listen, we're going to spoil stuff. We're close talk close your ears if you don't like that. So I think that, I guess right out of the bat, I want to, I mean, Brayden has heard us talk about this for like five or six days now. And, Before I read it. And now you, you read it this morning. Can you tell me what you thought about it? I know you weren't particularly excited about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it got, it got hyped up so much by you guys and people I was reading about online, and it was, it was... I don't know. I didn't get into it. It was. Yeah. Are you a fan of the Watchmen? Yeah, I like. I think the Watchmen was a very good piece of art. I think Alan Moore and a lot of his work isn't without his problems, but it's still very, very high caliber level of art and storytelling. I don't think this was on that level. It felt weird having Rorschach be so front and center mm-hmm. in the same way he was in the Watchmen, but being clearly different like written with a different voice yeah and you know he's he's a different person presumably yeah i mean until there was the reveal that it is in fact a different person i was a little bit bothered by how different his voice was Mm -hmm. but then i yeah i I appreciated his voice like the the subtle change in his or not so subtle change in his voice after it was revealed he's a person of color and obviously not walter kovacs so yeah 
Yeah. I really like that twist, actually. Um, I mean, it was a good, like, let make you think Rorschach's back and and then, like, oh, it's actually not him. Like, well, it, it was a good lead up, like, make you think something wrong. And that was something I really liked about this. It answers a lot of questions. So when you hear there's going to be a Watchmen sequel, there's a lot of questions you've got, like, well, a lot of important people died before the end of that. It seemed like a complete package that you, you would never need a prequel or a sequel to. Uh, and the prequels that they put out kind of showed that maybe that's at least half right. Yeah, um, I think that like we didn't need that before Watchmen stuff, although I do think some of it was pretty good, like Darwin yeah. Cook stuff. Yeah, um, that, that Darwin Cook was amazing. Yeah. It was good, but it was kind of unnecessary and, and fluffy. Even though, even like it, it would have been good if Darwin Cook had written that story unrelated to the watch. Right. This is an mm. interesting book because it is like a different caliber than Watchmen. Like it immediately for me has to be processed incredibly differently if there is going to be the inclusion of the DC universe in it. So like it, I don't know about quality wise, but it's just processed a little bit lower for me. Like it's a superhero related book as opposed to a non superhero book, and I think that I, I think that I have a problem of lumping superhero and superhero related things into a more generic middle range category. Yep. And, and I was fighting that instinct with this because I do think this is really, really great. I mean, it's Jeff Johns. It's not Alan Moore. So it's like Michael Bay ish. I once heard the comparison of Jeff Johns <laughs> to Michael Bay and I, I like it. I like Jeff Johns much, much more than I like Michael <clears throat> Bay. But when you compare his work to other things, it's just like watching like transformers or something. It's, it's like, Huge, money-making, beautiful, artistic, uh, but it doesn't necessarily always deeply, deeply resonate with you. But I think he's gotten better and better, and I loved his Rebirth one-shot that started all of Rebirth. Yeah. And we've basically been waiting for this since then. I, I thought that this did a really good job of paying homage to Watchmen and updating it. So Watchmen came out in 86... And it was set in 85. This one is set in 1992. So, uh, what, seven years and 20 days after the end of Watchmen. Um, and, like, there are a lot of really nice nods to the original. Uh, like, the first page, uh, the, the it's, it's seven panels. And each of those panels mirrors the angle of the first seven panels of the first issue of Watchmen. Um, there are a lot of little things that the sets are still the same. There are recognizable scenes and uh, locations. And then you've got Rorschach, who's this different guy, but he's rescuing people from a prison in a very similar way that he was rescued during a prison riot, right? And he ends up rescuing these characters that are, I think, pretty obvious allegories for the Joker and Harley Quinn Yeah. Oh. from... The They're DC universe, the like well, I just didn't get it. crazy as shit. But the Joker like, character the, yeah. is the mime, yeah. who's got face paint, right, like a Joker, and he's got blood on his mouth by the end of the the prison scene, and he's got a, kind of a, a bloody smile. And I really liked that in here because all of the Watchmen characters were based on DC characters. I think there was a whole mm -hmm. like really interesting level of storytelling going on there to then create characters in this Watchmen based on uh, yeah again more Charlton characters, but then are going to become DC characters like that. 
That are was, those? Is the mime and his girlfriend are they actually Charlton characters? <laughs> Roman is that I, in fact true? You know, I I wish I remembered to look that up because if, if they article, are, I've never heard of them. The yeah. marionette and the mime. Yeah. An article online referenced them in a way that sounded like yeah, they have yeah. been. They could be, I, but I, I, I've I, never heard I of them. I can't confirm that. It could be the DC universe kind of bleeding into the Charlton or the Watchmen universe in yeah. the same way that like. I can't finish that. That's, no. that's a hard thing <laughs> to even think about. I love the idea of, like, Watchmen wasn't an entirely original piece of work, and and, and Charlton, you know, like, DC isn't either. Like, it, it, it introduces a, an interesting, like, half-step relationship between all of them uh, yeah. that I think is pretty important. There's a scene where they're in uh, Night Owl's old bunker, and the marionette is shouting at Ozymandias, and the mime just kind of casually tosses her a screwdriver and she catches it without looking <laughs> yeah. and that that the, those panels have some of some of the best acting in the in the book I think like I you mean, learn a lot from about those two just from that that exchange yeah and like his whole silent grab of stuff I guess um, the framing for this story is that it's like Django said seven years after the watchman and public has found out that Ozymandias orchestrated the giant alien that showed up at the end of the watchman to hopefully unite the world and after realizing that sort of everything has fallen apart and we're reminded of that moment where uh, Dr. Manhattan decides he's going to look for a universe less complicated than the Watchmen universe, and he's been gone since then, and Rorschach and Ozymandias are in the pursuit of finding God, which we're led to believe is maybe uh, Dr. Manhattan, and we're led to believe that maybe Dr. Manhattan either created the DC universe and is living in it, or it's a parallel reality. It's just playing with it. Yeah. Yeah, and Ozymandias says he has cancer, yeah. I don't know if I believe that. Well, he's got, there's the shots of the tumor x-rays. Yeah. Is that what that is? I didn't understand that sequence early, yeah. early on in the book. It's... So, like, that they break into his office building downtown, and then we also have a military team breaking into the snow outpost at the end of Watchmen, and in that snow outpost, um, we have his, like, science room that they get into, and it's got his x-rays of his head showing a pretty big tumor in it. Mm, okay. It's been a while since I read Watchmen. I didn't remember that sequence. I don't think well, anybody don't think... else got brain cancer from, or maybe they never said in Watchmen. Did they ever specify? Because it seemed like remember. everybody around them got cancer, but yeah. I don't know if they ever said like which cancers, who had what cancers. Yeah, I don't know. Or if they just singled out the people who had cancer who happened to hang out with him. Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. Um, and then at the very end of this, they we, we see Clark Kent who's been reading Walden 2. He's going to prom. And he's uh, <laughs> he's having a nightmare about going to prom and his parents dying. He wakes up from a nightmare and Lois is trying to get him to stop hovering above the bed. <laughs> like, I just wake up all sweaty and shit. He wakes up sweaty and in the air. I can't sleep when you hover in bed. <laughs> um, I like the, the whole, like, him having a nightmare about his p- parents dying because the way that it plays out, the way that light is cast, you're not actually sure if his parents are being hit by a car because when the light is on them, it's after a frame when the car is behind them, and it looks like possibly they could have been removed by Dr. Manhattan or some other like extra dimensional force. Um, and and the light coming in the window after he wakes up is this blue yeah. Dr. Manhattan-y colored light. So, yeah, I think that, like, the the clear, like, work and intention put into the writing is absolutely astounding. And I, I think Gary Frank is a pretty fantastic artist. I don't actually always love his faces, but I think that he constructs scenes and, and everything really, really well. That's a good, that's a good shot of Clark. Um, yeah, I, I 
give this book a nine. I really, really liked it. I'm really, really excited for the rest of the series. I just like when DC wants to tell a really big, good story that it seems like they're actually putting a lot of energy into putting together. Like, this was teased over a year ago. They've been working on it for a really long time. It's a Neil was telling me today that apparently uh, it's, a, it's a story that Jeff Johns had pitched years ago to DC hmm. and had intentionally not wanted to use it because he was worried that, like, you know, it wouldn't be acceptable to do that. So Like, acceptable... To tell a story about the Watchmen. He, it's a story yeah. idea he'd been percolating, but it doesn't sound like it was just an editorial, like, we need someone to do a Watchmen story. Jeff Johns, come here. Um, it, it's, a, it's a thing that he's wanted to do. So I think that that's really, really awesome. And then I guess I'm also just curious about how everyone feels about this book existing. Um, I, I really like that it exists, and I don't think that it changes my feelings for the original Watchmen at all. But I know like a lot of customers, and when before Watchmen came out, a lot of people had a big problem with that, and they felt like, you know, having a prequel changed the original source material. So I'm curious, like, you guys, Braden, have I already talked about it a little bit, but I, I think having a prequel could change your perspective on, on that. I don't think having a sequel should though, because the original story is still the original story, and you, can, I mean, even with the prequel, you can ignore that stuff. It's maybe a little bit rude to Alan Moore. Um, but I don't think, I don't think that it should change your enjoyment of the original. And I think that this, for me, I mean, we can't say that they're sticking the landing cause this is one twelfth of the story, but they're sticking the beginning for me. Um, and I, I, like, I, I give this book a 10. This is, this is my, I think my favorite comic that I've read this year and I've read it. I've reread it. I've flipped through it. There's there's one panel in here that I don't like very much, uh, and it's the one it's it's the long shot of the city that looks like Andy Kubert drew yeah, it. Yeah. I didn't even notice that at first, but Jeff pointed it out, and now it really bothers me. Um, How come? It just doesn't it, it doesn't look like the rest of the comic. Yeah, it no. looks to it me looks it like, looks like nice. Master Race. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it's set no. in the in the yeah. Master Race world, and and the art is totally different. Um, I really like all the mysteries that they've answered. And there's so much in this. Like, you know, like, we spent two days talking to customers about it and flipping through it. And, like, the day after, I think it was, like, Django was saying, like, well, maybe this is Rorschach's journal that's, like, sitting outside of this car. Like, Mm -hmm. there's, like, I finished this book the first time and immediately was excited to read it a second time. And it just read it again because I didn't get it as much as I knew I could. So I then read it again t- to get more of it and got way more out of it. Um, I, I really like how much is there. And Django, I changed mine to a 9.5. Oh, because oh. <laughs> it's just been several days, but I remember Wednesday I was talking about this and like, yeah, it's, I, you know, this and last week's Batman issue are like, yeah, probably my two favorite issues of the year. Yeah. Very, very, very impressed. Um, and I can't really say where I fall on the, what does this mean to Watchmen kind of thing? I don't know if it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't really care if somebody's messing with Alan Moore's creation um, as long as they do it well and respectfully. And I think that they're doing that with you this don't, one. You don't care at all? I don't think so. Because DC hired him to write that. And they told him the rights wrote over back to him. If they stopped printing it. Right. Which they never did. They never did. But, but at yeah. the, t- and at the time, it's a little weird, right? Yeah. At the time, 
trade this, paperbacks weren't a thing. This was one of the one of the early trade paperbacks. So yeah, I, I can see knowing that I can see why he's upset that he doesn't have have the rights to it and why he's pissed off. I think he's communicated those details really poorly and has come across as way more of a jerk than he actually deserves to. Yeah. Um, but also, it's work for hire, and it still was work for hire back then. And for him to for him to throw a fit because he didn't regain the rights to this seems a little bit like sour grapes to me. Um, I think what the I've... fact that the, they said like when it, it's not being printed is really really important because like that's that's the loophole and that's legally speaking I think an entirely appropriate loophole. Sure, it's pretty. Still kind of a dickish loophole, though, and they kind of oh, touted yeah. the book as something like as a pillar of like creative creator rights. Like, look what we're doing. Like, mm-hmm. we're gonna have the revert rights revert back to him. It's gonna be cool. We're a good publisher. Did they, was that something that they had had promoted? That, yeah, that, that it was his thing in the advertising for it. Yeah, at least like, from what like I've a read, thing that this is gonna go back to the creator. Yeah. So yeah, so this is this is probably like a a really good example of how bad creator owned contracts were at first oh yeah like this this is definitely it's not very, very surprising what happened right but right no D, i mean dc is going to look out for dc and if they've got a winner they're going to keep it keep it like that but yeah this this and uh v for vendetta are probably the very first major trade paperbacks to yeah. really take off mm-hmm. and and i'll bet that this was one of the first comic books to make it into bookstores yeah Le- like legitimately yeah. make it into bookstores and that's yeah, that I would I would be pissed off too, um, but I don't think that this I don't think that the story here is shitting on him. No, I think I think it's a, a worthy continuation of what he started, and so like there's no way DC's ever going to give this back to him. They offered it back to him ten years ago. Did they? Yeah. Well, and I mean they've offered money to him, but yeah. he doesn't want money. He just wants it not to happen. Right. Right. Yeah, I think I think this is this is a weird a weird example of a story that's a worthy follow up and is not shitting on Watchmen and a, but published by a company that is willing to shit on Watchmen mm-hmm. and I'm going to support the the creators that are coming out with this, which is not hurting Alan Moore and not hurting Alan Moore's story. Um, and as a byproduct, I'm going to give DC money for it because <laughs> I, I really fucking like this issue. Um, <clears throat> I'll also give it a 10. This, this, I don't know if it's the favorite comic that I've read this year, but because I'm like, oh, how many great comics have I read this year? But I love this. And yeah, there's nothing in here. I love Watchmen. There's nothing in here that does a disservice to Alan Moore's story. It's all a great follow-up. There's all sorts of little... De- uh, reading this twice now, I want to go back and read Watchmen because... I feel like I'm there's connections that I'm probably missing. The art's great. I love the the sequence, everything you talked about, the panels. Um, there's lots of great scenes with Marionette where close-ups of her face and her pupils, you often see Rorschach silhouetted in the doorway, even when it seems like he's not necessarily standing in that doorway anymore, but the image is burned onto her eyes. <laughs> I really like that. Holy shit. Especially when she's angry or she's surprised in here. And I was like, oh, there's all these great little details. I need glasses. Yeah. There's, I mean, when he hands her the crumpled up envelope with her payment, 
in it. It's sticky because he got syrup all over it from his breakfast, which bean juice was a bad breakfast. <laughs> yeah, this Rorschach has a sweet tooth. The other one just had a bean tooth. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Likes his likes his syrup hot, which of course that's the way to have syrup on pancakes. <laughs> we always warmed up our syrup when no, I was a kid. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, you, you and Rorschach, buddy. Love, yeah, you put you put it a pan of pot of water and put the syrup in there and turn it up. Don't boil. Don't boil. Cause the waffle's hot enough. I don't that, no, that. no. Oh, warm. We gotta, do, we gotta sauce, do warm right? syrup. Yeah. Syrup do. is sugar. <laughs> <laughs> it's liquid sugar. Hot oh, liquid yeah. sugar. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, we're getting, we're getting, yeah, so we're getting into a different territory now. Two uh, pages in this book that <clears throat> switch to... Well, no, never mind. There's more where, than that. Where? But it's, I'm interested in, in why in some places does it change from a nine-panel grid to having mm-hmm. a row of four. And yeah. most comic books, I don't think about that sort of stuff. Sometimes. It's just so. how they did it. But I feel like there's enough thought going into this that uh, there's probably intention. Yeah. And like this scene in the prison, the very first panel, I mean, it's an eight-panel grid. Mm-hmm. And the first panel's bigger where they're, t- they're dragging this guard down the hall. Well, That's still framed in the nine, though. And Watchmen yeah. is not oh, yeah. all nine panels. No. no. It's all, I think it's all starts as nine panels, okay. and then some panels get bigger or smaller, like like that very first page. That's a nine-panel grid, but the bottom right. three are one. It's just the division of three, the division of four, are very different divisions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, um, this is making me sad that we don't have that discussion about the nine-panel grid from a couple weeks ago. I miss a miracle. I edited that out, yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, dang. Um, oh. And I like, of course, all the all the parallels to our current administration and where it feels like things are going in this country. And uh, yeah, just like it was uh, Redford, Robert Redford's the president here. <laughs> is is is, uh, is that the Redford? I'm assuming. Yeah, and it does that just uh, you know just as well as the original Watchmen did with what was going on in the '80s with the world and America, particularly. Did you think that them sending a nuke was a tip of the hat to the movie? Because in the in near the beginning, the they're they're getting ready to launch a nuke, and that's how they ended it in the film. Instead of having the, oh, the right. psychic they're, squid, yeah, yeah. Well, it could be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. God, I yeah. forgot about that in the movie. I haven't seen the movie since it was in theaters. I really like that movie. As a side note, I think that was a real good adaptation, except for the real big <laughs> change that they made at the end. I was fine with fine with that, even the change, because I was like, you know, on the screen that. Probably would have looked pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> the change was fine, I thought. And I loved it when I first saw it, but yeah. watching it since I first saw it and then read the book, I mm-hmm. disliked it kind of. Brayden, <laughs> give me give me it. Give me it. I mean, we kind of talked about, I think, you know, your feelings there. I, I want to know a number and a summary. Uh, six. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because. Way higher than I expected. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, because. I could just, go lower. <laughs> no, I, it, it was fine. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't really get into it. I, I followed it and I read it all the way through. I I went I went into it feeling kind of icky about the whole, you know, DC Alamora controversy. But like I tried not to let that cloud my view of it as I was going through it. But I think the nine panel grid wasn't used quite as well as it could have for the amount of like times it was used in this book. So that was kind of weak, and I—that is a good point. I would say that in the Watchmen, the nine-panel grid is used like, like they wanted to tell this. Like they they maximized telling the story by using the nine-panel grid, 
and like there's a lot of like zooming out and zooming mm -hmm. in and like hanging panels mm -hmm. and stuff whereas this does feel more like the nine panel grid as an homage which yeah. is totally fine yeah. and it's used well but i do think that there was actually like more um intention behind its usage on the in the, in the actual watch yeah there, there were some very good pages where like I like going from like a subtle change to a subtle change to a subtle change. Uh -huh. And at some points, it just felt like they were using a nine-panel grid because you can there were nine-panel grids yeah. in Watchmen. Yeah, you can put a bunch yeah. of pictures on a page yeah. that way. And I do think it, I do think it was a bit of a disservice to the original story, not necessarily to Alan Moore because of all the nonsense, but just because the original Watchmen was a very contained story with a very, very intentionally ambiguous ending, and like. Was it ambiguous? I thought it was because you see the whole thing and with the alien and there's hopes for like a somewhat peace between countries because mm -hmm. there's this alien thing. But Rorschach's journal's left behind, which, you know... You maybe think, it's not going to work. Which is maybe it's not going to work. It's like maybe this journal gets out and people stuff. But, you know, when they find the journal, like it's just like another one of Rorschach's random journals. Like they're not... Right. They don't care about it, so... And I like, I really like having that sense of wonder at the end of Watchmen. It's like, oh, would that have worked? And it's like, oh, maybe. And like, and this well, is it going did and until this, it didn't. Yeah, well, apparently, <laughs> according to this. But it worked for seven years. Sure. Right. So, but I guess that does answer the question. Yeah, I mean, the original Watchmen was sort of like, this is the state of humanity, and maybe we can fix it. And then it leaves it with that question, and this kind of then says like nope it's all the state of humanity like you brought up at the original Watchmen. so and i i guess i would yeah I, in my <clears> head <throat> i don't think it was like disservice but it does undo the notion i mean yeah so Watchmen ends on a question of like is this going to work and then for this sequel to happen it has to say no it doesn't happen mm -hmm. but for me and like we were talking about it recently but like just for me like i put a lot of emphasis into viewing art in a vacuum and so like for me, that's more of an issue with this and doesn't affect Watchmen at all. But it, you know, it in order for this series to exist, it has to have uh, conclusions or ideas based on inter intervening periods between the end of Watchmen, which therefore forces uh, the idea of an answer or the mm -hmm. idea of a conclusion of how that ended. And it was an ambiguous ending. I don't think it was like a question. It, yeah, I, I don't know. And yeah. I mean, and I don't like um, Ozymandias kind of like, I always really liked him in the original because he clearly had this huge Grandmaster plan the whole time and he was like the perfect villain and now he's just, he's going to look for Dr. Manhattan and that's, there's no way, like, the whole alien thing was like a huge labor of like, you know, he hired all these scientists and artists and everyone to make this big old thing that was, you know, absolutely fake and like, but still happened, but now he's going to have to get into some clearly, like, science, multiple universe, like, hijinks to find Dr. Manhattan, and that's kind of, it just kind of feels weird from him in this Watchmen universe. I love the cover for issue number two of just Lex Luthor sitting there with Ozymandias' hand on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. And I think that that is very sort of uh, a good clue of where the series is going and, and i think the, that's a brilliant idea the joker with the nostalgia item the oz button that's the, well that's the yeah i guess it could be an oz button too but this is uh uh ozymandias's perfume or cologne that he was selling in watchmen i thought that that was oh, a reference yeah. to the 
hmm. Oz effect. It could be both. Because uh, that Oz effect symbol they had on their necks was very similar to that. This is the cover to one right. of the Watchmen's yeah. with the uh, with the nostalgia. Oh right. That that's when I learned what that word meant. Really? And so yep. So this Clark Kent thing at the end too <clears throat> is that button. supposed mm-hmm. to imply that that happened in the Watchmen universe? Because like there's a lot of red in the background and there's a lot of red like going on in the rest of this story. As this kind of general, like, riot, nuclear war imminent kind of setting. Well, so, like, a big thing in, like, DC's original crisis on Infinite Earth and everything is that the sky turns red. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a thing of, like, the indicates the end times. Um, I was just worried that this, like, the, they're, they're making the Watchmen universe a Earth number something. And that, like, there's a Clark Kent in that universe and there's a Bruce Wayne in that universe. And to that me, kind of what I weird. like and what I've hoped this story is about is that, like, the DC universe is a creation of Dr. Manhattan's. Mm-hmm. And it's because he had said in Watchmen, I'm looking for a, a world less complicated. I so do that, think that's so, cool. Yeah, and I think that the world of superheroes is a less complicated version of our world. Because, like, there's moral extremes, like good and evil, where... I don't feel like that exists in our world. Um, I'm evil. Except for some really clearly bad So things. do you think this is just a peek into, like, the Rebirth universe that we're getting from, like, Dr. Manhattan's That's how I read it. Not yeah. as part of the Watchmen one. Yeah, that's Yeah, because there was no real intercutting between the two universes. It's just almost an epilogue. I want to feel like the Watchmen Earth is, like, Earth Prime, and all of the DC multiverse is this creation from this god mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. in the Watchmen, and that's Dr. Manhattan. And, yeah, just say... It goes from Adrian saying, we need to find John directly to Metropolis w- with the quote, wherever he's retreated to. Yeah. So, like, I think that's... So, I can't remember. Somebody came into the shop to Moonbase the other day and said this to me. Um, Superman's son... John. Spells his name just like mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan. Okay. John. Sure. J-O-N. What if they're the same? If okay. they're the same, I quit. Yeah, yeah, that's that, pretty lame. Yeah, That'll bug me. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want that. I don't think Jeff's that. Jeff John? <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, he's the Martian Manhunter. Yeah, whoa. So anyway, we've spent a very long time on that book. I don't know. We're going to either have to edit time out of that or drop I mean, I think it was something. worthy of discussion. <clears throat> I do, too. I, I do, too. It's interesting, too, because I didn't think End of Watchmen was ambiguous. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, well, I, I feel like what but happened, maybe I'm just more cynical. happened, but I guess... The the question for me was like, where does humanity take its next step? Yeah, the result right. of its ending that was and, what I thought was ambiguous. And I yeah, really I guess I expected it to end something like this because, and this little article mentions it here, they did publish Rorschach's journals, but it was ignored because that paper was a rag. But they did publish it where he like revealed things, some yeah. things. I like to think so. this was like a possible reality that happened where like you know it worked and like. Adrian well, got away with it. And I, I think that that's a totally legitimate way to, to look at this book and, and potentially even the mm-hmm. before Watchmen books. Like, oh, yeah, you have to look at them like that. Yeah, just <laughs> this this is another story. And for me, this is another great story. Whether it's related to Watchmen or not, like you, you kind of need the Watchmen base for this yeah. to make sense, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be an immediate follow-up to the actual Watchmen story. It, it can be a Watchmen Earth I can't even make a number joke about. Do you Watchmen. think Jeff Jones could have written this story without Watchmen characters? Do you think that Alan Moore could have written Watchmen without Charlton characters? I don't think I would have read it. Yeah, I mean he did. He, kind of. Yeah, he, he based did. Most of them. Off. I, I he mean, I guess be, I'm just saying, like, but what, what you're saying, he couldn't have done it without DC characters, right? And that's what I mean is like 
everything is preceded by another yeah. idea and and the fountain of influence yeah. is something that you can't Jeff, really trace between yeah, it. Sure. Jeff, Jeff Johns couldn't have done but, this I mean, unless could he have made there had been a previous different characters inspired Watchmen. by Watchmen characters for this story. I Maybe mean, that's I mean what Rorschach is, and that's also what the multiversity issue that Grant Morrison wrote is. It takes the Watchmen characters and turns them back into the DC characters, but is absolutely a Watchmen follow up. Right, and mm-hmm. I think that that is just as respectful to Watchmen as this is, okay. um, even though it messes with it a lot more than this does. This yeah. se- this seems like a continuation, but like. I think Sharknado 1 is still just as good even after seeing Sharknado 2 and 3. <laughs> um, but sometimes I got to just pretend that they're all set in different yeah. similar universes. Mm-hmm. Having never seen Sharknado, <laughs> oh my God. I want to move over to Thanos. <laughs> what the? Thanos. 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 Um, Thanos. Or we could just, you know, Thanos, go on Thanos to more minutes about the Doomsday Clock and just make it a Doomsday Clock episode. Let's make it a Doomsday Thanos. Clock episode. <laughs> Casey Green does a, does a webcomic, and in one of them he has... Uh, Night Owl, Soap Spectre, and uh, Dr. Manhattan babysitting baby Rorschach. Uh-huh. And it's hilarious. And that's the only Watchmen spinoff I really like. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, let's talk about Thanos, 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 number 13 by Donnie Cates with art by Jeff Shaw and Antonio Fabella coloring it. I didn't read Have this issue. Have you guys noticed how small his head is on the cover? <laughs> Dude. Ty noticed. Costco. Oh, shit. It's on the back, too. What? Thanos is getting a real push these oh. days because this whole Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, he's the uh, he's the purple guy in Avengers. In case anyone's not familiar, with the lines down his mouth, with the chin yeah. lines. Oh, okay. He's got a scroll chin, except That's he's not so a scroll. Uh, Roman, yes. Donny Cates. You love Donny Cates. He's writing this issue. I do, and I love this issue. What else um, is he writing? Oh, lots of things. Doctor Strange. Redneck. Mm-hmm. And uh, Buzzkill, Buzzkill, Payback. Wasn't there a God something? God Country, God, God Country, country. Yeah. and that's everything. A tomahawk. <laughs> Paybacks. Did we already say that one? Said Paybacks. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get a huge amount out of this issue. It was just like kind of set up, but I actually really dug it. Uh, I love Thanos. Oh yeah, I love well, giant I, well, I, love, I love that whole setup in the beginning where they're talking about all the cosmic characters and blah 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 blah, and how they all have this secret knowledge and fear that, you know, the universe comes to an end when Thanos wins. Than, uh, Thanos. Thanos wins. So the, the, the big conceit of this book is that Thanos, at the end of time, and everyone knows this, Thanos is going to win. Yep. And and Thanos is, Which... is, is the quarter of death, and I, I really like... I guess I didn't love anything in this issue as much as I just liked the idea that in the back, like the, in the narrative here, in here, he says that in the back of everyone's mind, everyone knows that Tannis wins. I've never, <laughs> like, I've read Infinity Gauntlet, and, like, I, I like that, you know, all, like, Galactus and all these other big celestial cosmic beings came and tried to, like, take him down, and he's just like, nope, I got the gauntlet, you're done, and I like that kind of fear, but That's I also... the power of fashion, baby. I also don't, still don't really get what makes... Thanos so powerful with without Braden. the gauntlet. I'm with Braden. I don't care about him. Oh, of course you do. It's don't. a Marvel book. No, it's because it's a cosmic book. Oh, I read yeah. some Marvel books, oh, but right. like, he's too big to punch. Yeah, and I mean, and it's see the rules around him are very, very ambiguous if there are any. Yeah, and yeah, you definitely don't like that. They've never said this, but I always, but I always considered him kind of a a mutant titan because the other titan titan titanians whatever you call people from titan Um, they're they're like star fox and arrows and stuff and they're all falco they're all yeah slippy yeah yeah falco um do a barrel roll (laughs) rock me amadeus (laughs) um 
but but he's that's why he's so big and powerful because he's just this like mutant thing. I like this issue because it's so grim and I'll coin a term thanostic. (laughs) It's so grim and dark. He comes to the Chartari homeworld and conquers it, and it's already this horrible place where it's hundreds of degrees below zero. And the Chitauri live there, and they have these gladiatorial combats where there's blood spewing into the air. And because it's so cold, the, the blood kind of solidifies a bit and then falls to the earth. There's this slow, bloody rain. It's like, oh, man, this is great great atmosphere. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's great. And so Thanos comes down there and conquers the planet, <laughs> makes yeah. it his new, his new base of operations. Um, Changes his name. <laughs> I am now Thanos. <laughs> Worship my Thanos. And then, and basically, at the end, future space ghost writer. Yeah, takes, space ghost writer shows up. Takes Thanos to his home planet of future Thanos land. And I gotta admit, I love this cosmic ghost writer who is also a former herald of Galactus. Yeah, and and space future Tannis has a beard and is sitting in the maw of a fallen Galactus whose helmet has been changed into a throne. And that is an awesome, awesome conceit for me. Yeah. I can't believe Thanos could have had facial hair this whole time and he waited until he conquered the right. universe. Right. I've finally done it. Well, maybe this is after he married Death. And yeah, maybe he felt like, well, I can't really pull off <laughs> this this awesome goatee, this beard, until oh, I've I love how, met my goals. how proud Ghost Rider looks at the end. He's just like... He's a good boy, and he did his job. <laughs> I got a He's question. He's very proud. He makes little ghosts. Well, I, I love the Marvel callback. I mean, he changed Thanos with the uh, the chains of Sidorak. Go ahead. Oh, what question. are the chains of Sidorak? Yeah, what is Sidorak? Well, uh, that, he's the guy word. who made Juggernaut. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. In, in before Roman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, very I, good. I, I want to say that I, I like Doctor Strange is always calling on him. Of Thanos having this facial hair, <laughs> and it's because time has passed, and he finally got together with death. But Death had already gotten together with somebody else and had kids, and then oh, Tannis shit. had to like come into this relationship <laughs> after Death has been divorced, and now it's like stepdad Tannis. And I feel like facial hair works really well for stepdads, mm. and I, I feel like it's future stepdad Tannis. Well, yeah, he's got to be cool. Yeah. Do you think you have to get divorced from Death, or does she just kill you? That's a good point. Like a black so after Death <laughs> destroyed her husband <laughs> and kept her children, she's like, "I'm tired of you, Bink." <laughs> so, all right. I don't read Tanus, and I don't read Ghost Rider. Or Juggernaut. Or what? Or Juggernaut. <laughs> but I'd read a Galactus Skull book. So yeah. uh, Ghost Rider <laughs> is from hell, right? He's a demon from hell. Is mm-hmm. that right? Zer- I did Braden. Is that a right response yeah. to have? Zarathos. Yeah. Is there a Was precedent the for an Earth hell demon Going into space? Nope. That's why it's so cool. Somehow Ghost Rider became a Herald of Galactus, got cosmic awareness. See, you and I are exactly uh, <laughs> opposite there. I I don't like the idea of something as Earth, like as, as tied to Earth as a devil or a demon being out in space. Yeah. I mean, that, that bothers see, me. See, see I, just, I just want to hear the story, read the story now of how Ghost Rider Zarathos got recruited by Galactus, and why. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm totally intrigued by that. Marvel in particular, I feel like it's pretty wacky with their, like, kind of alternate dimensions and stuff. Like, yeah. you know, there's Asgard, and there's, like, hell and heaven. With one L. 
there's hell with one L and with two L's. There's all, <laughs> and like they just kind of embrace like oh, there's all kinds of alternate dimensions, and they just yeah. pull from anything they want for the like time being for whatever story they need to make happen. Yeah, and that's Which, that's fair. It's cool if you want to embrace that, but also me. it's like it's kind of busted if you want to have some kind of structure in your universe i give it seven brayden induced giggles i thought <laughs> it was very good um for a book that was establishing a new writer on a book that i had stopped reading um it's gonna make me read the next issue but it didn't slap me in the face i'm it gonna add... doomsday clock number one am i right <laughs> i mean it was for me <laughs> i mean doomsday clock slapped alan moore in the face right <laughs> a couple times alan. Uh, if, oh, yeah, well, we should have had Alan Moore call We could have called and had Alan <laughs> oh, Moore man. on the phone. Um, <laughs> Tell us how to pronounce his name. I didn't read it. This podcast is going to be such a thing to edit. You're I didn't welcome. read it, but if, if, I, uh, if I had, I would have based my score on uh, either weird pointy beards, <laughs> a number of weird pointy beards, or a number of uh, thanuses. Okay. <laughs> Thanal canals. Uh, mm. Thanal canals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thanal cankers? What? <laughs> let's up over our head. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, Way uh, behind. <laughs> I'll get. Uh, I'll go to seven. Seven sounds like a good score. I liked it a lot. Had fun. I'm gonna read the next one. I like Thanus. <laughs> I like that these nicknames have all ca- caught on. <laughs> um, I give it a six, which is my. It was fine score. <laughs> um, I liked it just enough to be curious about what happens next. So Beautiful. You guys know what time it is? What time is it? What time B-b-b-b-b-b-b- is it, Jeff? B-b-b-b- time to take a bookshop bullet to the chest, boys. I've, I've added a new level of difficulty to this. Uh-oh. To, to encourage a sense of thrill in the listener and the speaker, oh, I have decided... That we are going to only be allotted one and one half minutes. Sweet for this oh, book shot round. Cut it down because of me? No. <laughs> oh no, it's over already. <laughs> just that's, that's a half minute and a half. Just you a wait. Fast um, and a half. Not just because of you, but I thought like we all made it through ours pretty easily last week, and I, I like the idea of a bit of thrill involved. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure Braden's uh, Braden's taking the challenge of making it through his too easily. I think um, he's got a. I think he's got a dirty I'm trick up his sleeve. As many books into this buckshot round as I can. <laughs> okay. Well, the finale of the buckshot round will be Braden. Um, I'm gonna kick this thing off. Django just grabbed four books for his buckshot round. Wow. I love the idea. Listen, if I knew where you put my action comics, that'd be in there too. Oh man. I didn't mean to t- oh my gosh. I do have your action comics here. You talk oh, about that. I'm gonna lose this no, contest. Okay. Uh, let's get in the interest of time. Let's do this thing. Uh, the timer is on. It's Jeff Figley on the horn. Um, Void Trip number one from Image Comics by Ryan O'Sullivan and Plaid Klaus. Um, this is a book that had a positive amount of buzz around it when it came out. The art is pretty unique. It's basically two folks traveling around in space. They're outlaws. They seem to be big fans of some sort of future space drug called Fruit. F-R-O-O-T. Uh, the art... Like the loop. Yeah, the the art is real nice. I... There was a... I don't know if... I feel like there's a thing going on in the world right now where it's cool to capitalize on, like, drugs, particularly in comic books. I know it's a cool thing of since the 70s or 60s when all those hippies were doing stuff with the... Um, but uh, this, to me, really felt like an attempt to be like, hey, 
this is what drugs are like. Drugs are cool. Have some fun with drugs or like particularly to people who maybe haven't done drugs. I don't know. But as I was reading it, there were things that rang true, but there's a lot of stuff that just rang not that true to me about drugs. I don't know. Uh, and I'm also just like post uh, glorifying drugs at this point in my life. So uh, if you want to do them, <laughs> go do them. Take some psychedelics. I don't need a, a several page sequence in a comic book about a drug trip. Uh, space cops chasing them. I don't know. Bounty hunter. It, it was fine. It was okay. I give it uh, a six. I was hoping to like a lot more and have genuine drug stuff in it. That's the timer. Oof. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to stop it. It's still two weeks in. Django. <laughs> Oh, All right, Jimmy's Bastards number five. This is, I think, the best issue of the whole series. There was some really, really good action. Uh, Jimmy has learned that the bad guys in this story are his children, and he handles that situation by throwing a grenade into the middle of a bunch of them and then uh, getting surprised by a sexy lady. And we don't know exactly what the deal is, but he is not happy with it, and she's messed him up pretty good. Um, there's agents riding headless parachuting guys down through the sky and dislocated shoulders and just tons of awesome violence. Yeesh. Awesome, awesome comic. I'm going to give it a seven. I'm going to give it an eight. Uh, also, I read Rough and Ready number two. Rough and Ready number two has a ton of really interesting like digs at Hollywood and the comic book industry. At one point they go to a convention called the wicked planet comic expo and say a bunch of shitty things about wizard world. And it's just <laughs> very funny, uh, especially for somebody who's followed wizard world and their shenanigans. Uh, lots of good puns. I wasn't even going to read the second issue, but I am glad that I did. I also read Yo. motor girl oh. number 10. Motor Girl number 10 is the last issue. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, you should definitely read this book. You probably have to get it in trade paperback at this point. Uh, Terry Moore is the king of, I don't know, characters and weird situations that I believe in. Yeah! Listen, Boy, we, 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 nice work. we can get a number out of this story. Right? Just... Uh, rough and ready, I'm going to give a seven. Motor Girl, I'm going to give uh, seven and a half. Sorry, yeah. I know that's cheating and going over time, but... Uh, Gotta get those numbers in. You know. You want to do another one, Shango? Nope. Or it's Roman's up. God, I agree. That motor girl was so good. Um, wasting minutes. Imaginary Fiends, number Hours. one. Uh, I can't even summarize this because I read it like five days ago, but I really <laughs> love this. Uh, another great book about mental illness, maybe mental illness, or maybe she's actually possessed slash haunted by this horrible demon thing that's a giant spider woman thing that's also kind of uh, erotic with her. It's a very fascinating book. Lots of weird stuff, spooky. I mean, this kind of feels like a Junji Ito book a little bit, except through Vertigo. Hmm. Well worth reading. I'd say seven for that one. I'd give it a seven also. <laughs> <laughs> Redneck, number seven, by Donnie Cates again, and Lissandro Estherin, I'm sorry for mispronouncing that, Lissandra. Covered by Nick Patara. This was a, another fun book. I really like this book. It's a lot of fun. Big thing in this issue, it's like an episode of Walking Dead. Somebody major in the family gets killed that I didn't expect. It's worth checking out. Demon, number one. <laughs> uh, this is no Garth Ennis demon, but if you like the demon in Etrigan, it's worth checking out. There's some cool Kirby stuff, artwork. In the beginning, I... Didn't like it because Jason Blood looked young and hip and kind of hot, and the demon wasn't rhyming. I was like, what the hell? This, these aren't 
these aren't demon qualities, but How's that's resolved halfway through. Um, it's explained. Both are explained very well. And there's some really cool spooky art. If you like the demon, it's worth checking out. Rate it. Ooh. Rate it. Oh, seven. Give me no, a number. Eight. Seven, seven, yeah. I need yeah, those numbers. <laughs> Having your way with this. Did you even do your assigned buckshot book? Ah, oh, shit. It wasn't <laughs> in my pile. Oh, man. Read Sherlock Frankenstein. It has Cthulhu. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cthulhu, yeah, yes. Shit, man, we got to respect the fur minute and a half if this is going to be a thing. I just didn't realize we were going to be doing so many books. I thought, I thought we had an extra 10 seconds for gonna... Jeff Lemire. I don't, I don't <laughs> We're buckshotting the buckshot. Braden, on the clock. Uh, my favorite book, I think, this week was probably Lumberjanes. It's, um, I started reading it, like, first three trades. I haven't read all of it, but this current arc has been really good and explores some of, like, the meta-narrative about, like, how the camp works, why time is traveling slow there, and they seem to be there forever. Huh. And it's a pretty cool thing to explore for a pretty, like, you know, fun book that doesn't really seem to take itself too seriously. Beginning of trade eight? Uh, I think s- seven or eight. I can't, I'm not okay. sure where they're at. But... And Molly's going through some stuff that I feel like a lot of people can relate to, and I feel for her, and she's getting through it. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. I want to know what Molly's going through after this. Oh, I bet you do. Uh, I also read Detective Comics this week, which has been super good. Jimmy TIV killing it on this. Um, I loved his Tim Drake arc, and this one has not been as good as his kind of Oz, future Batman, Tim Drake stuff, but... It was, it's still very cool, and bringing in the spoiler, who I love. And having her make out with Tim, which is awesome. Yeah, and Tim's being kind of kind of shitty, and Batwoman's totally calling on him on it, and it's great. Uh, 7 out of 10. <laughs> Action Comics was also pretty cool, I thought, this week, because it's the aftermath of the Oz effect, and it wasn't super engaging, but it was kind of fun to see Superman wrestle with something he couldn't understand and try to punch his way through it as hard as he can and six and a half out of ten and uh did they did they subtitle that issue back to work they didn't he didn't do much work which i was kind of hoping he would what's molly going through molly caused some big problems at camp what and she's um some time problems because she wanted to stay there forever because her family situation is kind of shitty yeah and so she kind of made a deal with this weird guy to, like, you know, have time work a little differently so it goes even longer than it already is. And it messed a lot of things up, and she's feeling – she's blaming herself a lot for it, oh, and everyone's Molly. trying to support her, but she feels really bad about it. I can relate to that, Molly. Right? That's We shame. all blame ourselves for things we shouldn't. And, and worry about things that we shouldn't worry about. Mm-hmm. Guys, what – a rewarding buckshot round that was. That was <laughs> buckshot. Great. I love the idea, and we all talked about it beforehand. We all had one book that we were buckshot, and, and every single person but me uh, did something different than that. And I liked it more than what would have originally happened if it had gone to the plan. So, way to, way to go. And Listen, will, Jeff, we got to squeeze an extra 10 I, thumbnail images on I here. will literally oh, try boy. to do more books next week. Uh, Brayden, I know the buckshot round's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, we keep coming back to Brady. Yeah, what do we got? Um, you want me to talk that, about Steven Universe? No, I, I just want to say that that full-page spread of the spoiler kissing Tim made me feel real good. Wait, I didn't see that. I didn't read this issue. She, that was early Tim, on, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, no, that was like pretty good, especially with, with the setup for it. Was yeah, like good. Tim, Tim comes to her door, and she 
sees him for the first time since he's escaped. And he's explaining himself like, oh, you know, another dimension, DC stuff, blah, 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 and then boom. Right. And then it's just like a full page, made me feel like a 14-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> I just saw that picture. It made me feel like a 14-year-old. Made you feel like Ashton? Yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? You feel like a 14-year-old. Is it because you realize that romance and, and life is not like that and you can never appreciate it like that? I think I got my first or... kiss at 14, and that's like that looks like his first kiss. Wow. Like, to me, it, it filled me with a sense of <clears throat> impossible... Never be able to reach that again. Braden, oh. Rugrats number two. Uh, by I believe it's pronounced Rugrats. Dugdats. Uh, written by Box Brown and Lisa Dubois. Dugdats number two. Uh, <laughs> Dugdats. Dugdats. Rugratinals. How do you feel about this? Did you dig this? I don't know if I dug it quite as much as the first one, but I did still enjoy it quite a bit. I think the art, while being very good, still kind of bothers me a little bit because it's not exactly like the show which is right. you know a very unique specific art style that i i don't think i would want them to recreate anyway but sometimes like you know chucky's hair is a little you know thicker than it is in the show or something or, or like or tommy's, tommy's head and, sassy. yeah and uh, i actually feel the opposite i prefer this to the first issue mm-hmm. um I liked. I think that they more fluidly integrated scenes of imagination into it. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was the Akira scene, or just the anime scene. There was the Game of Thrones. They scene. wouldn't even set up like you know playing a game or using it. It would just, it just sort of, seamlessly like, and it's Game of Thrones now, and it's like, and it worked really well. I thought, and yeah. I think that the first issue did overly uh, emphasize the fact that like parents are doing weird stuff with technology. Whereas this one didn't belabor that point as much. We were just mm-hmm. already in the story of that. So I thought that it worked a little bit better for me. Yeah. Um, there was book, less parents in general. Like, Yeah. This book is like really, really nice if you liked Rugrats as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I thought the ending, the, that final page... Gotta look at the final page was again. very very good. Like they're burying oh, a yeah, body. Yeah, yeah. And their expressions the whole time just kind of... Lowered eyebrows, just like they know what they're doing. <laughs> and that's what I loved about the show was just it was like children, maybe being way way beyond their years, like oh, sixty yeah. year old. And and this this book, while I do agree with uh, Braden, I don't necessarily always love the art. Um, it, it's catch. It's hard to be upset about that. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. But it does capture the spirit of it really, really well. Yes, it does. Um, so I give this one a, a seven. I don't know. I. As you were just doing your buckshot, I was like, man, Braden, you really just do this for the fun. And I was like, man, that's probably the best way to do it. Whereas I'm like, man, I'm looking for enlightenment through comics. This is not that, but it's very, very fun. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, seven and a half. Like, it's the best Rugrats comic that could be, and mm-hmm. I'm glad it exists. I do you think it's as high a caliber as a Rugrats comic as we could probably get? Yeah. I wonder if we're going to get an all-grown-up all spinoff. Oh, God, I... <clears throat> I would love like a, a young adult novel series <laughs> fan fiction. So it's really hard to come out of those buckshot rounds and just tone it back yeah, down. Yeah, I need to talk a little slower. I'm talking with some some spirit behind me. P. Platt, number three. P. Platt by Garth Ennis and Goran Parlov with Jordi Belar on colors. Uh, this is the third issue of the epic Punisher origin-ish of story of between five and six issues epic huh well i mean it wasn't that epic it was <laughs> it was a it was actually a very small story of yeah. the punisher and his Plot. team oh his pl- 
his platoon. So before I read this issue, I had Jango say it was his favorite of the series so far, and then I had immediately Braden say it was his least favorite of the series so far, and then I read it uh, one half's worth and didn't have time to finish it. You read it half's worth? Man, I was reading it last night, and it was like midnight, and I was I got to a point where I read two pages, and I was like, I'm not actually getting this story from these two pages so i could finish this but it would be a bastardization of p-plot okay so here's the deal there it's it's continuing the story of them in vietnam i get i get punisher's platoon and they're trying to defend their space but they're having a hard time because their guns really suck and in order to save the day uh, Frank Castle calls in an airstrike way too close to them, freaks them all out, and they decide that the best way for them to get to, to defend themselves is to get better guns, guns that don't jam. The because, airstrike was an issue too, right? Uh, no, there, no there, there's an airstrike in this issue, and the airstrike is like oh. 20, 30, 40 feet away from them. And the it's, page with the airplanes is where I stopped. Yeah. So <laughs> what they realize is that they can steal the guns from the enemy— and trade them with a guy in, uh, in in some department of the military for better guns. So it's for, basically for the old models of the guns they're using now. That yeah, they're just sitting in storage. Right. So the army screwed them by giving them new models of a previously good gun, now a shitty gun that keeps jamming in the mud. And so it kind of turns into not even really a heist, to just Punisher running a scam on the U.S. government by getting rides to different places to to get these guns and this is my kind of war story didn't isn't it actually the guns that they're trading are the the government issued ones are they the government issued ones i think that they're trading the ones well no because well, the ak-47s well the, the, M, the m6 or the m16s they're trading they m16s they're or m14s i think I thought they were saying the ones that they're getting are shits. They were trading those for old well the ones, ones they've been they issued the newer ones are shits and then after the airstrike they go out and raid the VC bodies okay. for their guns, yeah. which they I then trade right to this guy so. to get better guns. Yeah, they're they're stealing guns from the bodies of the enemy. Um, wow. Yeah, and they have to do it quietly at night, or they're going to get caught in a crossfire. And there's a great part where one of the guys says, uh, "LT, I think I'm going to puke," and Punisher says, "Do it quietly," which <laughs> is just awesome. I no. think that the, you you and your puke. I like puke. Okay. <laughs> I just read the final two pages, and I think that they're absolutely <clears throat> incredible. And I think that that final panel is like a definitively Garth Ennis panel. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He shoots shoots a uh, shoots one of the new guns through a tree stump, right through and a Vietnamese soldier. And you yeah. just sort of feel gross. It wasn't gory enough for me. I couldn't tell that he like was even dead. It was it was hard for me to follow. <laughs> like I, I, I could follow what was going. Like he's shooting here, getting the instructions, shooting now there, but, and so, then and then I just see this guy who's <clears throat> dead and looks like there's. Like after last issue when he like bayonets a guy full page spread like I want some of that gore. Yeah. <laughs> I've never I, seen well, I, you I, look I, like that, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I just like how methodical. I can't say that word. Methodical. methodical. Thank you. That word. Methodical anus. Methodist. <laughs> that was because he's got he's got his spotter right next to him. Frank has the spotters right next to him, telling him like, okay, to the left, down a little, because he hits the top of the tree that the Viet Cong is guys sitting behind. I just like how they you know narrow it down. Boom, and and all he says is that's a well done. And this is so. This is the same team that did a big chunk of the old Punisher series. Uh, I think the Punisher Max series was Ennis and Parlov for the most part. Um, I think the art is serviceable. I think it gets the point across. But like Braden was saying, like 
I actually did have to study that last page for quite a while to figure out exactly what was going on there and to realize that the bullet had gone through the tree and through the guy's head. And I figured I, it out. So I think it's, it's not the worst. Just the way that, like, you see the guy standing behind the tree and you see him hitting the tree with the bullet, but then when you see him dead, it looks like the bullet's coming from the side instead of the front of the tree. So the way I read yeah. that is, like, that is better comic booking than normal because it forces the reader to engage in it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like I actually had that same thing while you were talking about it. I was like, Oh, I I went to the last page just to check it out. I was like, Oh, did they actually shoot him? And I went to the page before it and I read that and then I read here. I'm like, damn, nice. Uh, And that to me is like, that's, that's what I like about Garth. And it's even particularly is like, this is, it's just that aching ambiguity of things. But I, but to me, when something isn't immediately handed to you and it forces me to put an extra instance of thought into a thing to figure it out, I personally like, really prefer that. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't like when things are easy to understand. Like, actively don't like when things are easy to understand. I work it up all day. Like, I, I don't want to understand comics. Well, no, that's like, that's for me. Is like, and that's kind of going back to what you're saying. <laughs> like, the, like, the fun aspect. Like, for me, like, I... I like fun comics, but I prefer to like have to sort of work no. and study yeah. the art of somebody that I think just clearly knows a thing way better than me. Yeah, I absolutely value like being able to engage with the comic and like this whole scam that Frank's running because, and that's something you don't really expect that Frank Castle was good at that kind of thing too. Doing the scam in the middle of the war. Yeah, but he's and, good at and, getting the job done. And yeah, like and doing use, by and, any means necessary. Yeah, and using the uh, whatever you call this guy. The um, system. Yeah, using the system, going to the the sleazy guy that gets everything done, can, can, can gun that that can procure everything and His make name things is Donald. happen. Donald. Yeah, and I love you know. But he also tells that guy's him, look, don't like stop distributing heroin. Yeah, that to my platoon. Yeah, like, yeah that like, panel there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's him as the Punisher right there. That yeah. that panel is why I'm reading this series, <laughs> and that's also why I dislike this issue because I only got one nice juicy close up of those big beautiful blue Punisher eyes. Do you do you like war stories, Braden? I haven't read any of it. Oh, I like... I mean just stories oh. set in war in general. I like Dunkirk. Uh, okay. I don't. I'm not drawn to war stories in particular. Yeah. What is it about like in the first or second issue we we had another shot like that? What is it about that that you like? Is it that like you feel the Punisher in it, or there's a lot of yeah. like, character being conveyed, or he's pretty just what like the sternness, like that's like the Punisher's face right there, and it's like it's super serious and like absolutely like you can discern everything about his character, including with, like, with the dialogue that he says there, it doesn't come anywhere near 861, talking about, like, drugs being peddled around, and that, and it's just, like, that's a goddamn sexy face. And, you can smell the man coming off him. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, and I feel like they did it a lot in the first issue, there was a lot in the second issue. You only see the blueness of his eyes twice in this issue. Hmm. I was counting. And you only see it well in this one panel. So right. that page gets a ten for me, but the rest of the issue is like a four. Because I, w- I and I was skipping like the old you, guys. You could say this about panel shit, here, the close up of them. Punisher's torso or Frank's torso yeah, when really. he's cocking the the gun. That's a Punisher panel. I preferred, but yeah, the no Punisher face. as a war person vastly to like 
I don't care about the overtones of Punisher in town, like Marvel Punisher. Mm-hmm. I really like Frank Castle in Vietnam, like this and and. Punisher Doesn't matter where work. he is or when he is; it's all war. There's well, yeah, and that, that's a good point too. <laughs> There's all and like and speaking like being in war, his face, which I'm so all about. It's almost like it's frowning five percent less than it does after the war in current Marvel comics, and I kind of like that. That he's almost, not sad yet. That almost tinge <laughs> yeah, of innocence right. in him, like yeah. yeah. We need to get you. Need to repunish your born. Okay. Oh, Is that yeah, when that he's a baby? Great. No, it's it's basically <laughs> it's, right before and right after. It seems like right after this, but it's like while he's in Vietnam and okay. kind of what happens psychologically in him for like to break, and then he comes back from Vietnam hmm. and he's like not the same guy anymore. How do we feel about Frank Castle being old enough to have been in Vietnam? Because I've got a buddy who's in Vietnam. Brayden got to ring him up the other day for a board game, and um, that guy's like almost eighty. I don't give it a second thought. Okay. Yeah, I don't yeah, think the, about it. The aging in the Marvel universe is so off. Like, or like any of them. Like Peter know. Parker is not. Yeah. The age he should that's be. The perfect mm-hmm. example, just like Spider-Man. But they almost keep rebooting Spider-Man, right? Like, Spider-Man doesn't have a time period that he's tied to and can't get out of. Punisher absolutely went to Vietnam. And Peter Parker did not grow up at a certain time. He doesn't have any, like, Peter Parker's origin doesn't definitely not have cell phones in it. Right? So they can keep rewriting that and updating it. Just like Batman. Batman didn't go to war. But Punisher is rooted in this specific war in the Marvel Universe. I think in and 10 I'm, years, they'd be able to just as easily write this same story in Afghanistan. They could do that fucking now. They could they could put him in Operation Desert Shield. I Garth Ennis likes to write Vietnam stories more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just... I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's what Give they're... him some super serum. Give him just a little bit of super serum <laughs> when he gets out. <laughs> Have it wear off, but he doesn't age the okay. same. I, I can see that. That's all I want. Yeah. Nick Fury did it. Right, Fury yeah. was in was in Vietnam, and they kept him young by giving him super serum. Fury, Fury was in World War. He was in World War Two. He was in World War Two. Yeah, he was yeah. a spy during Vietnam. Also, <laughs> Vietnam. Well, right. That's my point. It, it doesn't matter. They're all. Everybody is a superhero. I. I it, act, this. it actually. I started watching the Punisher TV show or Netflix show last night, and that actually bothered me more that they made it more realistic by making him an Afghanistan war um hmm. veteran okay. and, and that actually draw drew it to my attention more i was like wait uh, vietnam wait he's a hundred <laughs> years old wait <laughs> you were gonna give it a score oh i give it uh i mean i didn't quite finish it there's several pages i didn't read you can give so it you half get a, a seven and a... i give it what we give every book that we haven't finished reading on this podcast i give it a fucking 10 <laughs> <laughs> well that makes my seven a and bullet? a half sound kind of piddly but uh i this this is not my favorite punisher series or my favorite punisher story or my favorite garth ennis series or my favorite garth ennis story but i think it's really solid this issue made me think of uh soldier in the rain by william gibson um not as funny but definitely just as scammy and uh i i liked it i think that is like i like war comics especially from vietnam uh, and I like the whole like aspect of the guns not being good enough. Like that's the sort of stuff that I would never know about war. Like mm-hmm. I would never know that the government tries to give 
guns to soldiers that are not the top of the line gun that they would want like and that people would have to go around and like, that's the sort of stuff that i learned from art based on that period when it's good art and like like punisher born like uh it just opens my eyes to a period of time that i think is absolutely fascinating but i, I just i don't know like i like this because it's not the punisher it's just like yeah. super mm. badass dude and i don't really care about the punisher at all garth can you write us a punisher story well i wrote a war story all right cool <laughs> can you make, make the main dude a punisher <laughs> yeah can you make him dark-haired <laughs> i like that too because like in this sequence one of the things i learned and i don't know if this is based in truth i'm just kind of stuff probably i'm sure happened but the guns the good guns they're trying to get back the ones they had previously the guy mentions um their Procure, procurement officer dude uh, mentions that those guns are in storage because they're going to be sell- Donald because they're going to be sold off to uh, the Russians or somebody. Right. <laughs> so our government, you know, is messing around there. So what do you give it, Roman? Oh, I'll give it a, God, I feel like I'm giving a lot of sevens today, but I'll give it a 7.5. Nice. <laughs> oh, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not reading this book seriously enough to give it like a legit score. Like it's it's five. It's perfectly acceptable and I'm gonna read more, but I'm I'm really just in it for those eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like, I think Arthur is great and you know he's he's a he's the, the the super war story expert guy and he's a great writer. I skipped over all of the uh pages that were just the old guys talking. <laughs> I didn't read any of the uh, the boxed narration. Um, I think I still got the gist of the story pretty good, and I got those eyes, and that's that's all I was really there for. I mean, the boxed text is basically just them talking. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, I, I so at least you're consistent. I don't care about <laughs> these old, ugly-looking men. Did you guys care about the Viet Cong general and his daughter I or want to, his, his but protege or I thought whatever. it was pretty weak in this issue. I I haven't really been able to follow it and I I don't think that it, it it's helped the story for the reason that I'm reading it and maybe that'll change by the end but I suspect that we're going to see a pretty shallow story arc with them and then Frank's going to kill her. That's yes. my guess. Hmm. Uh well uh, that's the perfectly acceptable podcast. It was perfectly acceptable. We did it. <laughs> can I can I say something? I'm I know it's so not my buckshot sick. round. I'm so sick, but yeah. That that issue of uh Sherlock Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. It centers on a bad guy who was a plumber until he found Cthulhu. Mm. His name was Lou. Mm. And now he's Cthulhu. Mm. And he didn't die after all the big battles, and now he's just like a family man. And his daughter's name is Louise, and she looks like him, and her name is Cthulhu Louise. Mm. <laughs> it's really good. That's that's pretty. That's pretty clever. It's 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 like the stupidest joke. And what's what's the name of the girl that uh, is interviewing them? It's oh, um, uh, it's something else that starts with a Lou. Where's the issue? <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's this this book is yeah it's uh, this book Black Hammer's great. daughter from from the main series. Yeah, yeah. I've I've just uh, oh yeah her name's Lucy so she could be Cthulhu C. <laughs> it's good and while we don't have Black Hammer to read, this this has too many words but it's gonna fill that Black Hammer hole. I'm glad to hear that it's as good. 
I, w- I would put it on par with Black Hammer. In fact, I think that it shouldn't have been a spinoff. It should have just been a six-issue arc within Black Hammer. I think it would have mm. been just as just as good and probably sold a lot better. More people would be reading it. We should do a whole episode that's nothing but buckshot round. Oh God! <laughs> I'm Django. See how many my, books uh, we can get in in one episode. <laughs> I'll do a whole a whole episode on one thing. I would rather do that. <laughs> Let's do both. Okay. <laughs> Let's do a whole episode of buckshot rounds with the same comic, over and over <laughs> and over. Yeah, I am still very sick. I'm Django, and my feet aren't really sweaty, but they stink. And the end. I'm Roman, and I'm not. I'm not sick, and and my feet don't stink. <laughs> there's, some, there's something else that stinks. Oh, his his thanus. My thanus. I'm Braden, and I I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> you can work for me tomorrow. Uh. <laughs>